0: What's challenging is institutions need flexibility. They need to know that, yes, we will do everything humanly possible to preserve the mission for which you have generously given us this money. But if it becomes impossible for us to do that, we need to have a plan B. That is a hard hill for donors to swallow because the more passionate and specific they are about what they want the money used for, the more troubling it is to have this notion that the institution has like this little escape hatch. Things might change.
1: Welcome to Financially Ever After Widowhood, the podcast where we empower women to take control of their financial future after the loss of a spouse. I'm your host, Stacey Francis. President and CEO of Francis Financial, an award winning and nationally recognized financial advisory firm. With the help of incredible guests, I'm ready to guide you through this challenging transition. Today, our special guest is Mindy Stern. She is a lawyer and a partner of Schwartz Slackus Rice Greenbird Atlas. S-S-R-G-A. Now, that is a mouthful. And there's so much that I could tell you about Mindy. But let me tell you just this. She is an attorney. She has a practice that concentrates both in real estate as well as estate planning. And as we know, there's such a crossover between them. Well, I talked about the firm she works for being a mouthful to go ahead and pronounce. But I want to tell you, too, that the work that she does is no simple matter either. In her trust and estate practice, she counsels clients on all different aspects of estate planning to make sure that your wealth, your assets transfer to the people you love, the missions, the charities that you adore, helping you make sure that you mesh your life with making a difference. Now, make sure that you really listen in, because Mindy talks a lot about how you can incorporate charitable gifts, not only today, but also even in your will. Also, we'll talk about what these tax implications might be, both income tax, both gift tax, and the things you need to think about. And make sure you stay to the end, because We talk about what you can truly afford to give. You want to make sure that what you're giving to those you love, the missions and charitable organizations that are truly heartwarming to you, that you do so in a way that keeps you on financial track, not only today, but also for the long term. So without further ado, please help me welcome our fantastic guest today, Mindy Stern. Mindy, thank you so much for being here to talk about one of the parts of my life that's so dear to my heart, charity and and giving to others. And I know that you have a whole lot of information to share on this, but before we do, I just want to give you a very warm Financially Ever After hug. Thanks for coming today.
0: My great pleasure. It's a privilege and an honor to join you.
1: Well, thank you. And So tell me, how did you decide to go into law? What inspires you? How did you find yourself here?
0: I decided to go to law school back when I was very naive, thinking I was going to save the world. And if I had a law degree, somehow I was going to manage to save the world in a very grandiose way. And I went to law school and I came to realize that my plans were going to have to be a little more granular that I wasn't being mm-hmm. able to save the world in some kind of grand way, but I could make contribution on kind of a one step at a time. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with the real estate courses that I took in law school and thought that that would be a great way to help people and companies with all of their needs regarding real estate. And I actually, since I know philanthropy is part of the topic, I actually evolved into helping not-for-profits with a lot of their real estate needs. Several years after I had started practicing and doing only real estate up to that point, I had the opportunity to start doing trust and estates as well. And frankly, to my surprise, I discovered that I love it. It is very different from real estate. Because real estate is very high pressure, intense, got to get done yesterday, make things happen quickly, wheeling and dealing in negotiations. It's a very different dynamic than trust and estates, which is intimate and personal. Yeah. And you're helping clients plan what happens after they pass. And you're helping clients after someone has passed deal with not only the emotional issues associated with that, which I'm not professionally qualified for, but inevitably you get involved in, but also all of the legal aspects of that. And I have found also that the two practice areas are very intertwined because most people own or rent, everybody lives somewhere, they either own it or rent it they have a business or you know work somewhere they might have a second home or they own a business that needs to lease or owns the property in which that is happening so it's very common when you're dealing with estates that real estate is involved
1: yeah so much of what many people grapple with with that estate is how much do i give to charity do i give to charity through my will or Where I do that during my lifetime. And, you know, I'll just share with you my personal story. You know, I didn't really come from financial means. So I didn't have the ability to really be able to give to charity in any way. But I was very involved with soup kitchens when I first moved here to New York. And it just filled my heart to work with some of the most vulnerable people and see a smile on their face when they had this beautiful dinner that we had prepared and really trying to make them feel like royalty and I committed to myself that when not if but when I become financially secure that I want to give back and I know so many people feel that way but Mindy during our lifetimes sometimes it can be difficult to make charitable gifts and How do you approach that decision process with them, Mindy, as far as what portion do you give? And I'd love to dive into, too, what are some of the benefits that you can actually see now when you do that? The first thing that I tell people
0: is that you must sit down with your financial advisor and say, what do I need to live on for the rest of my life? Obviously, nobody knows exactly the day they're going to die, exactly what the estate tax laws are going to be then, or exactly how much money they're going to have. So some of this is guesswork, but a good financial advisor can still, and I'm sure you have these conversations with your clients all the time, can still come up with some projections to say, okay, based on various assumptions, This is how much I have today. This is how much it'll grow over time. This is how much I'm going to need when I stop accumulating and I have to start spending and come up with some projections. Only then, in my opinion, is someone in a position to decide whether to give some of that wealth away now or wait until after they're gone and whatever's left can be distributed to whoever they want in whatever way that they want, whether it's some specific cash requests or percentage of the whole. But that is the first conversation. And there are tax consequences associated with giving now versus giving later. If they give now, one of the advantages of the focus is on a state tax, if they are lucky enough to have that problem, if you want to call it a problem, where they have to. Worry about estate tax, then if they want to reduce the estate to get the future appreciation of an asset out of their estate, they can think about making that gift. Now, or sometimes people just feel, you know what, I want to see whoever I want to give it to using it now, enjoying it now. And they feel very strongly about that. If it's charity, you don't have to worry about the cost basis. But if they give it to an individual, They're giving it to that individual at whatever their own cost basis is. So if that individual goes to sell it, then they're going to have to pay capital gains on the difference between the cost basis and the capital gains, unless they have a savvy financial advisor who can say, well, we can offset those gains with some losses. And you figure out how to deal with all that. But the tax consequences have to be part of the discussion as well as can I afford to give this now?
1: I love that you brought up two pieces there, Mindy, of not only what can I afford to give, but from a tax perspective, what are the benefits and the best way to do it? From a financial planning perspective, we want to make sure that if we're giving an asset to a charity, that we're still going to be financially secure and still have significant assets even at age 95 and beyond and then really thinking about the tax benefits of doing that one of the things that we did was actually donate bitcoin to the charity that i started savvy ladies and we were actually one of the first to make a charitable deduction a charitable donation in Bitcoin way back when. We did that for a couple reasons. Number one, we knew we could have financially afford it. When we bought Bitcoin, it was I can't believe it. It was literally ten dollars per Bitcoin, and at the time, it was about fifty thousand dollars per Bitcoin when we donated it. And we decided also that it was going to be that asset because if we wanted to gift it to our children, what you mentioned their basis would have been $10 for this $50,000 asset. So as we looked at all the different things that we could possibly donate to Savvy Ladies, it became very clear that the best was actually this Bitcoin. So we did that and didn't have to pay any taxes. And in fact, we able to claim on our tax return that year a beautiful charitable donation which saved us, boy, I don't know, maybe 20,000, maybe even more on the taxes that we paid that year. The other thing that
0: I often counsel clients to talk to their financial advisors about is making donations today, if they really want to do that, from their retirement accounts. Because if you have two different assets, two different pots, one is the non-retirement and one is the retirement, if we're talking about liquid assets, which is what we've been doing up to this point, it is much better to make a donation if you want to make a donation of part of your retirement, like maybe your RMD can go right to a charity or make the charity a specific beneficiary or a portion of the retirement account as opposed to the non-retirement account. Because, as I know you're well aware, under the current federal SECURE Act that was first enacted in 2019 and then tweaked more recently, beneficiaries who are individuals have to receive the distributions from those retirement accounts within 10 years Mm -hmm. after the decedent's death and pay income tax on all of that unless they have various reasons why they don't have to pay income tax. But if the charity doesn't pay the income tax. So they're debating which pot to pick from. Obviously, using the retirement accounts to make those charitable donations is smart.
1: Yeah, very smart. And really, you're talking about two really important strategies. The first is the qualified charitable deduction, which allows you to be able to donate your required minimum distribution that. If you're over age 72, you are going to be forced to take money out of that retirement plan. And I think the dollar amount is pretty hardy. It's up to $100,000 that you can actually give to charities. So it allows you to essentially not have to pay taxes on that money. Now, again, if you need the money for living expenses, that's another thing. exactly, Exactly. But also the second piece of Who is the beneficiary of that retirement plan? It's interesting, Mindy, it's been top of mind conversation in my household where, in fact, it's funny right here, I have a beneficiary form to fill out and that beneficiary form is to change the beneficiary on my 401k from my husband to Savvy ladies. And the reason is that, again, like you said, if he were to receive those assets, he would need to take them out within a period of time. There are rules, of course, that go to spouses that are a little bit more flexible, but he would have to pay taxes when he gets that money. And every dollar coming out probably would have to give 45 to 50 cents to Uncle Sam, whereas Savvy Ladies is going to receive every single nickel and penny outright but one of the things that we're having that conversation about is where does that leave him do we have enough in life insurance and i'm just going to give you a tip from some something i texted him i said i have a great idea i'm going to switch the beneficiary on my 401k to savvy lady so they don't have to pay any taxes and mindy his response was stace But I don't think that this is a conversation we should be having on text. So <laughs> <laughs> let me just say, pick, pick her hand. right, sitting <sighs> down with your spouse, making sure that you're, you're estate planning, <laughs> don't do it on text, please. I, I was like, oh, my God, Michael, you're so right. I'm texting you that I'm giving my 401k to charity and yeah. just asking you to give me like a thumbs up emoji. Sure. Right. Sounds, <laughs> sounds great. You know, we've been talking about liquid
0: assets, but another component, the planning discussions that I have with people involves other assets. I find that having those conversations is both enlightening because it gives me a window into somebody's life. What is it that they covet? What do they collect? Do they have antique dolls? Do they have antique cars? Do they have antique photographs or other kinds of artwork, it's really interesting. And some people have very strong views about their real estate. I've had some fascinating conversations with people who are interested in donating their real estate to creating a small museum or a writer's retreat in yeah. a home for People who they think the institution should be able to attract to work Mm -hmm. at the institution, but unless they have a place to live, they ain't common. There's all sorts of reasons why people think about donating their real estate or their personal possessions. But of course, those conversations, they start out with very lofty goals. And then you have to kind of bring them back to earth Mm -hmm. and have a real conversation. About whether the charity needs it, wants it, can maintain it. Like if someone says they want to give their piece of real estate that they have upstate to an organization to do something good with their mission, they might not be able to afford to keep it. They may not be able to Mm -hmm. pay if the roof has to be replaced. You know, they have to have a conversation with the charity to see is this realistic. Or yeah. did the charity end up just monetizing it? And is that okay? Yeah. Or, you know, so, I, I've spent my life accumulating vintage posters like the one behind me. And there's no place for an organization to store it in the proper climate controlled setting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or it's just too voluminous a collection. They can't keep it all. They don't want it all. There are security issues, insurance all sorts of responsibilities that go along with preserving a collection of something. Again, if your client doesn't have the conversations with the organizations that they have in mind, they just leave it to them in their will or their trust, they could end up from the grave being very disappointed that yeah. it did yeah. not work out as they intended.
1: Mindy, if it's a piece of artwork, let's say it's a painting, who determines the value that is then deemed as that fair market value for purposes of that donation? They have to get an official appraisal. Got it. So you can't just
0: appraiser. No, you can't yeah. just make up a number. The reason is this: I don't know how many of your viewers are based in New York versus other states where there may or may not be. Estate tax, state Mm -hmm. estate tax. Mm -hmm. In New York, there's an exemption for estate tax, which is way lower than the federal exemption. And you can make a gift, and if you die within three years of having made that gift, it all comes back into your estate like you never made the gift. But if you manage to survive three years after having made that gift, it's out of your estate. But under current federal law, if you make a gift to a person or an institution that is valued at more than what the current annual exclusion amount is, which is 17000 in 2023, you have to file a gift tax return. And to file the gift tax return, you have to know how much to put on the return as the value. And the return is subject to audit unless mm-hmm. you have a yeah. solid appraisal that yeah. values what it's worth when you gave it away. The federal, unlike what I described for New York, you are using up a portion of your lifetime exemption that allows you to leave a certain amount to whoever you want without any federal estate tax consequences. That amount is over $12 million this year. At the end of 2025, that current law sunsets, and God knows we're in a twilight zone to know what's going to happen then. but it is unlikely that you wouldn't have to keep filing gift tax returns to reflect what you've given away during your lifetime Mm -hmm. unless they completely do away with the estate tax. And who knows?
1: And Mindy, is it correct that when you're saying giving away in these situations and having to do a gift tax return, it's giving to an individual. It's not necessarily giving to a charity. So you're not having to use your lifetime exemption to give a piece of artwork to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Today, but you Today. still want to have a
0: valuation because you need to talk to your accountant about how much of that donation,
1: if you itemize your deductions, how much of that donation. Yeah, got take. it. So if you're giving the Monet to an institution, you're making sure that it is appraised, that you're working with your CPA, that you're taking the correct amount as a charitable donation that year. Like- but if you decide to give that Monet to, well, you can give it to me. I'd be happy with it. Then the person giving it to me needs to file a tax return because I'm not a charity and it would go from their lifetime exemption, that $12 million. So maybe it's worth $10 million. They might only have $2 million left after that gift. Right, so, so it's very
0: important to keep track of those things.
1: Understanding. I love that we're talking about things outside of just cash. I feel like during our lifetime, and I've done it too. The number of checks that I've written or times I've put in my credit card to support a run for cancer, or whatever it might be. But what we're talking about today is having a more thoughtful approach to the way that we give and doing so in a way where our dollars really go further. They go further and for us writing a $50,000 check, we have to make almost $100,000 to make that donation because that's the after-tax amount of those earnings. And yes, we're going to get a benefit for on the tax side, but isn't it wonderful to then instead take an appreciated asset, whether it's a stock, it's right. a collection or something, and being able to donate that. Very, very Powerful. Are there any situations where you've had clients or heard of other individuals donating something to a charity that went bad that during their lifetime, I guess, mistakes, things that we should watch out for? And I'm definitely hearing making sure that there's an appraisal so that if your tax return is audited for that charitable deduction that you're taking, that you've got the paperwork and the backup for that. I'm
0: thinking again about money and mm-hmm. decisions that people make about the giving that sometimes they haven't thought through everything. Example, if somebody wants to give money to a university and they have a particular mission in mind, whether it is to fund research, you know, people to do research if Somebody suffers a loss. I'm thinking of a poor client whose son died of a rare cancer, and she worked at an institution where he graduated from, and she wanted to create a fund to continue the research into the rare cancer that he had. We got into the only one I'm thinking of. There are others who have taught at universities, and they have very strong views about creating funds for certain things to fund teacher salaries or scholarships. You get into very interesting philosophical conversations about who's going to make the decision about who gets the scholarships and are there Mm. any restrictions on what's the criteria for giving someone a scholarship and who gets to decide. You look at all the candidates and figure that out. And what happens. If the institution loses its ability to do that particular type of research or have a department, you know, the English department or the history department, it has to go away for some reason in the future that we don't currently know. Now, what happens to that money? It gets tricky because having sat on both sides of this, having represented both the institutions who are receiving the money. And the individuals who want to give it what's challenging is institutions need flexibility they need to know that yes we will do everything humanly possible to preserve the mission for which you have generously given us this money but if it becomes impossible for us to do that we need to have a plan b that is a hard pill for donors to swallow because the more Passionate and specific they are about what they want the money used for, the more troubling it is to have this notion that the institution has like this little escape hatch. Things might change.
1: Yeah. Those are tough conversations. And a little bit of lack of control. So, really having that deep conversation with the organization of where they are able to, quite frankly, best mobilize this money. And I, Do you have a different point of view than a lot of individuals of being the founder of a charity and seeing, quite frankly, honest, unbelievable financial struggles that we went through, Mindy, especially in the early years? I was reusing paper clips. If I could have, I would have reused staplers, but I couldn't quite straighten them out to do it. It was really difficult. And having someone come in to say, we donating money for this effort, it's a great idea, but it's not where we need it. That is a fundamental problem that every charity
0: faces is it yeah. the bottom line is you need money for general overhead. and yeah. people want to make donations with very specific. you can only use it to fund the specific mission at hand, no yeah. overhead. That is really hard for the institution. They have overhead. They're paying people to carry out the mission. They're paying the rent in the space that they're using to fulfill the mission. And on and on and on, they're paying the insurance for the property that they're doing their work in. They need money for general overhead. Yeah. So again, you get into these kind of philosophical discussions about whether you trust the mission and the people running it enough to know that they're going to do the right thing. Yeah.
1: There's a book that is one of my favorites. It's an oldie but goodie. It's called Inspired Philanthropy, and it completely reversed my way of giving to charity. I used to be that person who wrote a million checks, $50 here, $25 here. And reading that book really helped me identify the missions that resonate With me. It actually is part of what gave me the courage to launch my own charity, really focusing on financial literacy for women. And I am able to give big to an organization that I truly believe in, Savvy Ladies. And it allows me to say no with a free conscience because it's not part of my mission. We all struggle with that because we all get those flyers across our desk, the emails, and you do need to support people in your network and friends, of course, but it does help you really align where you want your dollars to go. One thing that I have spoken with some clients
0: about who are struggling because they have a mission that they want to fulfill, they want to deal with climate change or endangered species or help. Underprivileged children get to school or whatever, fill in the blank, whatever it is. But they're either worried that an institution that's here today will be gone tomorrow, or that the way that it is run will change when the current people who run it retire or pass away, or for whatever other reason, they're just concerned. There are organizations, I'm sure you're familiar with them like the New York Community Trust or Spark New York City, there are some organizations that I think of as vetting organizations. Uh So you Uh give your money to that organization and you say, I want to promote dealing with climate change or I want to promote dealing with otherwise saving the environment. They or underprivileged kids. Every year, their sole purpose in life is to Look at all
1: these not-for-profits and identify worthy recipients. I'm actually on their website and it's amazing. So they have a section for current donors, a section for financial advisors, and they also have a section for nonprofits. This is kind of like the headhunter that's vetting job positions for you without wasting your time applying to a position that's not going to be a good fit. And so they give grants to not-for-profits. They make donations to not-for-profits. It's a fantastic And, and again, that donation to the trust is a tax-deductible exactly. donation. I love it. I feel like there are so many wonderful ways to make your dollars go further. We've talked a lot about giving during your lifetime. And I know for me, it's been amazing. And the benefits of seeing my dollars go towards a charity where I can In real time during my life, see the impact. It's wonderful. What about those individuals who might be in a different situation where they don't have as much flexibility to give big during their lifetime, but do want to make an impact through their estate planning? Mindy, what are those conversations like with your clients and what do you recommend for them? Those conversations typically
0: revolve around who is in your immediate universe in terms of friends and family members that you would like to leave something to Mm -hmm. and what portion of your estate do you want to leave to charity how do you want to divide it up for some people i just had a conversation with someone this afternoon who's in his 70s he has a 90 plus year old mother he has no spouse or children So everything he owns at his death is going to charity. That's pretty easy. It's just about us figuring out the specifics of that. There are other people who are lucky enough to have a fair amount of wealth and they want to leave something to their family, but not all. Yeah. There are a variety of ways to accomplish that. Sometimes it's just outright bequests in a will or a trust at death over and done. Other times people will say, well, let's see if we could tweak this a little bit and have some sort of charitable trust. And there are two ways to go with that. One is to have what we refer to as, a, I think of it as the Jackie Kennedy trust. She had a trust that created an income stream for charity for a set number of years. And after that, whatever was left back to the family. That's a charitable lead trust because the charity comes first. The flip of that is there's an income stream to the family, and then after the last of them passes away, whatever's left in that trust that goes to charity. And there are certain tax advantages. Yeah, we don't need to get mm-hmm. to the fatalities okay. of it all on this podcast, but that's two ways of doing it. Obviously, that gets a little more complicated in terms of now you have to get your accountant involved and have another document more legal drafting, it's obviously
1: easier to just give a check. I would also say that the charitable lead trust and the charitable remainder trust is not for $100,000. And the fact that you're calling the lead trust or the remainder trust, the Jackie Kennedy trust, like we know these are big dollars, right? To pay those additional accounting fees, the fees for setting up the trust. So really for giving big. And I love what they can accomplish because there's a lot of flexibility where you're still supporting your family. If people are struggling with, how do I know how
0: much I'm going to have left? can't figure That's out the, the question, allocation. right? So this is what I do. I never say, can't do it. There's always a way. <laughs> the way that I get people over that hump is to say, okay, if you died with $3 million, what would the allocation be? And they'll say, okay, it would be this and this. Okay, fine. What if it's, million, what would the allocation be? Yeah. Typically, they change the percentages. So, what I'll tell them is okay, come up with one or two different scenarios. If it's below this, more than this, this is how you'll allocate. That way, they don't get stuck. The hardest thing that I find getting people to finish their planning is they get stuck on certain decisions.
1: Yeah. And And my goal is to unstick them. Yeah. And that's also, what the conversation with my husband has been. Am I going to be okay if you're giving your 401k away and less you're putting a lot of money in it every year? And one of the things I was thinking is that I could nominate this amount goes to my spouse, this large number that he is going to feel comfortable with. And the portion outside of that could go to charity. Instead of using percentages that, God forbid, maybe my assets dwindle and leaving him 50% is just not going to be enough. Really what you're saying, Mindy, is that if there's a will, there's a way, and it's working with someone that's able to think outside the box to make sure that every person is taken care of and that you feel comfortable. Exactly. And you're doing it in a tax-efficient way. I think for those taxable states... 12 million and up, we don't know where that's going to be on the federal level. Most likely will come down and being Mm. able to protect from that too.
0: And even people of more modest means, I get into the conversation about the total disaster scenario. Everyone in your immediate family and all your friends, anyone who you, anyone who's an individual who you intended to receive something, the horrible scenario is they're all gone. Now what? And charity often becomes the default beneficiary, the total disaster scenario beneficiary. So even if you have well under the New York exemption amount of six plus million dollars, it's okay. You can still make a difference with charitable giving in that yucky total disaster scenario.
1: I love the flexibility of being able to give during your lifetime and doing it in the most Efficient way for you personally from a tax perspective, but also being able to give more to charity because you're doing it efficiently. But then also all the flexibility that is part of what you can do in your estate planning as well. I was speaking to a client and she is going to inherit a significant amount of assets, more than she'll ever be able to spend in her lifetime, in 10 lifetimes. And We are going to be creating a plan for her when that comes to her of donating to the causes that really are important to her during her lifetime so that she can see that impact. The other piece that I will just share, too, for a lot of people, they want to give anonymously during their lifetime, yeah, especially if they're very large donors, because I will say once you get on those lists, it can be a little... Too much because you get solicitations all the time. And some charities are not so good at respecting your privacy and your personal. Absolutely. Some people want to see their name on the
0: building or the sports arena. And some people
1: really don't, right? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So figuring out what you want, but then also, quite frankly, communicating that to that charity too to make sure that it's respected. Absolutely. Mindy, any other. Last minute tips. I know we're kind of coming up to time, but we've covered a whole lot. Anything else that is really top of mind that you feel like is important? I
0: think it's important for the people who are listening to this podcast. People do everything they can to not talk about death. Yeah. But it's so important, in my opinion, to give your family the peace of mind to know that you've taken care of these things. And to leave them in a good place, if you have specific goals, the only way that they'll get accomplished is if you put your plan documents in place. If you don't do that, then the choice that you're making is that the laws of intestacy in the state where you live, that's who will receive your assets. And there's a pecking order of priority in terms of who gets to be in charge of that. If that's not what you want, you have to do something about it. Yeah. One of the biggest uh, struggles I have with some people is they think about, well, if I do nothing, somehow magically it's all going to work out. And as I said, all you're doing is leaving it to the state to decide who gets things. And you certainly cannot accomplish any charitable giving if you don't have documents in place because that's not in the... State law that you know a piece of it goes to the charity of your choice, it's all about
1: family members. Yeah, do you love your friends and family? And the answer is always yes. I said, Well, then you better do this <laughs> because if you don't, they're going to be picked at you. You have no idea the words that are going to be spoken in the same sentence as your name after you leave if you do not get this crap together.
0: Oh, yeah, I've had clients say to me after the
1: sudden death of a parent, If he wasn't dead, I'd kill him. I mean, right. You're I know. It's like, it's like, like, what mess that you left for me? Like, are you freaking kidding? Are you trying to get back at me for my teenager years? Like, where is no. this coming from? Mindy, I can't thank you enough. How can our listeners and viewers get a hold of you? What is the best way to reach out to you?
0: They can call me at 212-743-7028, or they can send me an email, M Stern S T-E-R-N at SSRGA.com. My firm's website is www.ssrga.com. I'd be more than happy to talk to anyone who is struggling with these decisions and turn it into a rewarding exercise.
1: Well, thank you, Mindy. And for all of you listening, we have Mindy's contact information for you so that you have that. We also have links to the trust that we talked about the Charitable Remainder Trust, the Charitable Lead Trust, as well as some of the other vehicles that we spoke about as well. And I just want to say a great big thank you for joining us today, Mindy. Thank you for having me. It's been great fun. We covered so much about gifting to those you love, about charitable giving, tax impact, but I want to definitely stress again, if you have questions specifically about what you can give during your lifetime and what you can give at death to the organizations you care about. Because much of this can be answered by a beautiful financial roadmap. It's essentially a crystal ball into your financial future. And can you imagine never having to worry about money again, about having a recipe every year for not only what you should be saving, but what you could be spending? what you can be gifting to those you love, and what you could be donating to the charitable organizations that really are important to you. That's exactly what Francis Financial does and something that we can create for you, that bespoke customized portfolio to support your goals and that bespoke customized financial plan to really map out your entire financial future. If you have questions about that, I encourage you to reach out. This is the work that we love to do. You can just tell from my voice how much we love this. Please reach out to me, Stacy S-T-A-C-Y at francisfinancial.com or you can visit our website very easily at com. Thank you so much for joining in and I'll be seeing you in two short weeks. Thank you for tuning in to Financially Ever After Widowhood. If there's a question you'd love for us to answer on the podcast, we can do that for you. All you have to do is give us a call. And the number is 347-682-5580. Let me say that again. 347-682-5580. Whether you're working with an advisor or you're maybe doing it on your own, we invite you to reach out to us at www.FrancisFinancial.com or you can email me at stacy S-T-A-C-Y at FrancisFinancial.com. Our hope is to be a resource for you to help you also find a great financial advisor, whether that be with our firm or one of our trusted colleagues. Please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast and join us next time on Financially Ever After Widowhood.